Acts uh, chapter 18. This morning we're going to look at verses 18 through 28 as we continue our series through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. We're going to look uh, this morning, uh, the message entitled, God's Workers Under Construction. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila at Cancrete. He had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went to the, into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when, uh, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. I'm sure many of us are familiar with that song that used to be sung every year around vacation Bible school or around anything that focused on children's ministry brought to us by Bill Gaither that went kids under construction. Maybe the paint is still wet. Kids under construction. The Lord may not be finished yet. But here's the deal. We are all under construction. Not just kids. And the Lord is not, is not done with any of us yet. All of God's workers are in the process of becoming more like Christ. We use this big theological term for that called sanctification. It's a process. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And it is not just for kids, but it is for everyone. There are people in many stages of life. Some go to church regularly, but have never trusted in Christ as their Savior. For them, they are learning about who Jesus is. Maybe they're reading their Bible. Maybe they're trying to figure out Jesus' teachings, but they have never trusted Christ as their Savior. We need to give these people guidance. We need to instruct them. We need to remember we were once there and help them when they need it. There are still others who have come to Christ and they are still babes when it comes to their faith in Christ. This has nothing to do with how old a person is. And it may have nothing to do with how long someone's been a Christian, but it has everything to do with how much they know and practice. 
You can be a Christian a long time and still know very little about the Scriptures and rarely practice what you do know. Those people that are further down the road in their Christian faith, perhaps they know a lot more in their faith and they're able to put a lot into practice. They need to treat the babes in Christ the same way they would a normal child. We don't expect a one-year-old to act like a 10-year-old, nor do we expect a 10-year-old to act like a 19-year-old. Instead, hopefully we model for them right behavior and we correct them when they need it and we help then become more mature. None of us are fully sanctified because everyone is under construction. And I believe the passage of scripture we read this morning reveals that to us. Now granted, we could read this and we could be faced with all kinds of questions, all kinds of unanswered questions, in fact, when it talks about Paul's vow and and then never tells us what the vow is or why he took it or whether you and I should take vows Or why didn't Paul stay in Ephesus? Why was he only there such a short amount of time? Especially when the Jews were open to the message. There's a lot of questions uh, here as we read this. Was Apollos a believer before Priscilla and Aquila talked to him? Whatever happened to Timothy and, and Silas? Remember, they were with Paul, but we have no mention of them here. Like I said, we could get bogged down with questions. But here's why I want us to clearly see This morning, God has a job for his workers, which is to spread the gospel and to build his church. And every one of his workers are under construction. So first, let's see this, that our work is to spread the gospel. Our work is to spread the gospel. Look with me at verse 19. It says, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. And then it says this, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Did you notice that everywhere that we've been studying the life of Paul, everywhere Paul goes, he makes it about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is consistently looking for opportunities in which he can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this case, he's simply passing through Ephesus and he looks for an opportunity to preach the gospel. Paul wanted to see people saved. In fact, so much so that he said he would be accursed if if it would mean the salvation of the Jews. Paul wanted lost people saved. In 1 Corinthians, he says he is compelled to preach the gospel. And later on in 1 Corinthians, he says that everything that he does is for the sake of the gospel. The gospel dominated the life of Paul. Everything he did was about the gospel. This was not just in Paul, but the same was true in Apollos. In fact, Apollos was was doing this before Priscilla and Aquila came to him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then after they came to him, look at what it says in verse 28. It says this, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. In fact, Apollos through his preaching, strengthened other, other believers. You know, I'm strengthened in my faith by other pastors, sometimes by reading their messages and by listening to their sermons. Preaching the gospel not only brings, lost to, uh, brings the lost to salvation, but it also strengthens other believers in their faith. Regardless, our work is to spread the gospel. That's our work. That's part of what we are to do is to spread the gospel. And 
the way we spread the gospel is through gospel proclamation to the lost. If we forget that, that, that our job and our work as a church, if we forget that our work is to spread the gospel, then we're missing out on our mission. Because that's what we are supposed to do. Spread the gospel far and wide. That's our work. But there's a, a second aspect of our work. Not only is our work to spread the gospel, but our work is to strengthen churches. Verse 23 tells us that Paul was strengthening all the disciples. Apollos preached the gospel to the lost and he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos come to more accurate understanding of God. This is the way it's supposed to work in the church. The church is supposed to be strengthened by one another. We're supposed to strengthen each other in the church. Babies eventually grow up in the house and they move out on their own. And they have more babies. And they in turn help grow them up and move out. And then more babies. That's the way it works. That's the way it's supposed to be. And it should be the same way in the church. We should help each other grow up in their faith. We should find babes in Christ and strengthen them and help them grow. We need to help one another grow up. In fact, this is the main task of those that are pastor teachers. Listen to uh, the scripture from Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 14. And he gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. With that said, it's not just the pastor's job alone to strengthen the church, but every member has a role to play. You have a role to play in the process. When we all do our job and our and our part it, as a whole is to strengthen one another. You have a role to play. To help one another grow in maturity. This is our work to help one another. To strengthen one another. And when we see someone struggling, we help them. If there is a temptation that they need to overcome, we help someone overcome it, especially if you have already overcome such a temptation in your life. If there's a biblical truth that you've discovered in the scripture and that, that you've learned and that you've applied in your life, then it is your job to help someone else understand it and, and comprehend it and apply it to their life. The Lord has brought you comfort in times of hardship. It is your job then to seek out other people that need comfort in the same time of, of hardship that you walk through and to help bring them comfort. That's our job is to strengthen the church. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. It's not just, well, pastor, you better get busy strengthening the church, but it's your job to help strengthen the church, not to kick a brother when he's down, not to gossip about this person or to tell tales about that person or, or to make someone feel like they are less of a Christian. But our job is to strengthen one another in the body of Christ. Now you might say, well, well, I can't do that, pastor. I have my own problems. I have my own issues. I'm fighting my own battles. 
I can't do it. And the response to that is uh, point number three. We are all God's workers under construction. We all are fighting our own battles. We all have our own issues. We all are dealing with problems. It doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Christ. You are still under construction. Listen to the words of Apostle Paul. 25 years after he became a believer, he wrote, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul was under construction. And I say, if, if the Apostle Paul, who wrote so many books in the New Testament, was under construction, 25 years after he became a believer, then we're all under construction. First, let us notice this, that God always uses his workers. God always uses his workers. As we read through this, it seems that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is moving very quickly over some events, including some ministry details of Paul, in order to get to the details of Priscilla Aquila and Apollos and what we see is that Luke is making it clear that God is using other workers he's not just using Paul Priscilla and Aquila had left Corinth with Paul they traveled with him to Ephesus as he moves into uh, as he moves on to Jerusalem and Antioch God uses Aquila and Priscilla to bring people to Christ in Ephesus we know this because it says when Apollos wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. Where did those brothers come from? Well, they came from Apollos, yes, but they also came from Aquila and Priscilla. They're the brothers that wanted to encourage him. We do not know where Timothy and Silas are, but we would know that they are working somewhere because this is how God works. He uses multiple people. He uses Workers, he doesn't just use one worker. And the church today would do well to recognize this and not just think it's up to the pastor to do it all and it's up to the pastor to do all the work that needs to be done, but it's up to the church to do the work. You may remember from our study in Corinthians that after Apollos went to Corinth, if you remember, there were some people that named themselves after Apollos. They said, well, we're of Apollos. And others said, well, we're of Paul. And others said, well, we're of Peter. And then the, the super spiritual ones, if you remember this message, the real spiritual people said, well, we're of Jesus Christ. We're of Christ. And Paul strongly confronts them, but never took away from the ministry of Apollos, but instead said they were just servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, this is what Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Paul saying, I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm a worker just like anyone else that God is using. God is at work in his church and through his people because God always, God always uses his workers. But not only does God always use his Workers, we, we want to see this, that all of God's workers are under construction. All of God's workers are under construction. Not long ago, I was going through some, some uh, old stuff of mine, and, and I pulled out uh, 
one of my or some of my first sermons I had ever preached. And I was reading through some of them and I was like, man, what a train wreck. These are awful. And I think, how in the world did, did God use me? How in the world did that happen? In fact, I still remember one of my first sermons. I was trying to give an illustration of Peter um, uh, walking to, to Christ, stepping out of the boat and walking to Jesus. And there was this chair in my way. And I was trying to say, well, it's like if I'm going to walk to this door and that chair was there. And so I kind of went to push the chair out of the way. And I ended up kicking in. It flew up in the air. And it crashed down. And I'm trying to give a lesson to all these teenagers. And they're all scared now. And, and uh, I just, I was like, wow, that was terrible and there's still times I feel so inadequate to pastor a church there's still times that I, I sit and say Lord how in the world are you going to use me in Washington Illinois but you know what I often have to remind myself that my adequacy does not come from within. But as 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 states, my adequacy comes from God. And so does yours. You can't wait until you think that you have it all together. Or that you have all the answers before you start serving and working for the Lord. You start now because we're all under construction, because we're all in this together. Let's look at that these that are mentioned here in this passage of Scripture. First, let's see that the Apostle Paul is under construction. In this passage of Scripture, we notice two things in particular about Paul. First, we notice that he keeps a vow. And as we notice, uh, um, this, this vow uh, uh, that he keeps, we don't know what it is. But also, we notice that he passes from uh, an open opportunity that he's given. He just kind of walks right through it because he had to get. He wanted to get to Jerusalem and Antioch, though we do not know why. We also know that he was seeking the Lord's will. As he said, I will return to you if God wills. I want to just look at this idea real quick of making a vow. Bible scholars have disagreed for a very long time as to whether Paul was right or wrong in making this vow. Some say that this vow was a carryover from, uh, uh, from Judaism, but that he is free in Christ to make a vow if he wants to. Others think that Paul grew his hair out as a temporary Nazarite vow, which would have kept him from taking communion and cutting his hair. To be clear, I, I don't believe that's the case in this passage of Scripture. One scholar even goes so far as to say that Paul was in sin when making this vow, and he was out of the will of the Lord. However, that would be reading a great deal into the Scripture because the Scripture gives no indication to us that Paul was wrong in taking this vow. I believe what F.F. Bruce um, explains it best when he says this. This was probably not a former, formal Nazarite vow which could not properly be undertaken outside the Holy Land, but a private vow, the fulfillment of which was an act of thanksgiving, possibly for the divine promise that was given to Paul in verse 10, which had been confirmed by his preservation from harm throughout his Corinthian ministry. I believe the fact that Paul took a vow shows us that Paul is under construction. 
Paul is working out his sanctification. He is under construction. Now this raises the question, should we make vows? Should Christians go around making vows today? Well, I believe um, that there's nothing really wrong um, with certain vows. You make wedding vows. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making a wedding vow. But should Christians make vows concerning things like um, Bible reading and prayer and these kinds of things? Should we be making vows concerning those things? Should we, should we make vows in relationship to our sanctification of becoming more like Christ? In my opinion, and you can disagree with me if you want, but in my opinion, we shouldn't make vows concerning Bible reading and, and that sort of thing. And here's why. We make a vow over something we can do. That's why we make a vow. This is something I can do. And when we do that, it shifts from us being in a loving relationship with the Lord to being in a performance-based relationship with Him. And, and we're not in a performance-based relationship with the Lord. Suddenly that Bible time is just something that I check off my list. Well, read my Bible today. I'm, I'm holy today. Well, that prayer time is just something we check off our list. You know, kind of like how sometimes we go to church and it's just something we check off our list. And now, I got the whole day to do whatever I want. I just check church off my list. The rest of the week is to myself. Did my holy, holy thing. Bam, it's done. Checked off. Let me be honest. Our love for the Lord should be a normal pattern of life. It should be why we pray, why we read Scripture, why we study Scripture, why we share the Gospel. And I don't think that if, if you happen to miss a day, okay, reading your Bible, that you should be beating yourself up because you broke some vow that you made to the Lord. Well, I made a vow that I'd read my Bible every day and I missed it today and now I need to beat myself up over that and oh, I'm such a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner because I didn't read my, read my Bible today. We should do it because we love the Lord and He loves us. That's why we do it. It's not based on performance. It's based upon, I love the Lord. That's why I do this. And so I'd say, yeah, we, we don't make a vow, but, but I believe the Apostle Paul's vow is evidence that he is under construction. The Lord is working on him. Priscilla and Aquila are under construction. Like Paul and like us, they were under construction going through sanctification. It's possible that when Paul first met them that they were not even saved. Whether they were or not, we don't know. But I'm certain that through their interaction with Paul, they would have grown in their faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They eventually got to the point in their faith and knowledge to where they had maturity in their life to help someone else out. Paul is not around. They approach Apollos. And even though he is mighty in scriptures is what it says, and they help him get the message straight. They heard Apollos in the synagogue and they could tell that he didn't understand uh, that the one of whom John the Baptist spoke of was, has actually come. And so they sought out to, to take the opportunity to, to talk to him. How often do we do this? How often as Christians have you, have you ever sought someone else out to, to kind of correct their 
theology. You, you heard them say something that wasn't quite right and, and you actually sought them out and had an actual conversation with them. Have you ever done that? Because that's what we're supposed to do. But you know what we do as Christians? Well, I'm not going to say nothing. Who am I going to? Who am I? I'm, I'm nobody to say anything to them. Interesting enough, Priscilla has mentioned prior to her husband, which is unusual, it is possible that she was more knowledgeable or better at articulating than Aquila, or maybe she had been a believer longer. We don't really know. But the point is that they're both under construction. They're both growing. They evidence their growth and how they handled the situation with Apollos. They didn't, they didn't go and confront him publicly. Instead, they took him and, and met with him privately and helped a young man understand the things of God more clearly and more accurately. And I'm certain that after this time, Apollos walked away with a deep appreciation for Aquila and Priscilla for taking the time to help him understand something. Church, even though we are under construction, we must be on the lookout for others that we can help in their faith. There, there are plenty of people out there that, that could use a deeper understanding of, of things. Maybe they don't quite understand something. I come across things. I'm the pastor. I come across things sometimes I don't quite understand. And, and I got to go and consult other things to, to try to help me understand that. And we should be on the lookout for those those people that, that maybe aren't understanding something clearly and help them just like Aquila and Priscilla did. But not only was Paul under construction and Aquila and Priscilla under construction, but so was Apollos. Apollos was a Jew. He had come from Alexandria. Alexandria was a famous learning center. In verse 24, Luke says that he was an eloquent man. Most likely, he was trained in rhetoric, and he knew how to speak. He knew how to hold people's attention. Additionally, Luke says that he is mighty in Scripture, and so he knew the Word, and he's able to understand the Scripture, and he was zealous for the Lord, and he's proclaiming the Scriptures. Yet even Apollos, with all of this going for him, all this great stuff was still under construction. It says he taught accurately the things of Jesus, so he knew about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He knew about the ministry of Jesus, and he taught accurately about Jesus, but it says that he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. So his teaching was incomplete, not inaccurate. What was incomplete about it? Well, he taught that you were to be baptized in the name of John. And some wonder, well, how could this be? To be honest, it wouldn't be hard to be a follower of John the Baptist and to be familiar with Jesus, but not know that the call is to baptize in the name of Jesus and only the name of Jesus. And, and um, it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to only know the baptism of John. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so those who were baptized looked forward to the coming Messiah when they were baptized in the name of John. And this is what Apollos knew and, and what he was teaching. And he's te teaching everybody this. And he was never clearly taught that he was to baptize in the name of Jesus. And this is what Aquila and Priscilla taught him. Can you imagine being Apollos? Can you imagine being a young man trained in such a knowledgeable city as Alexandria? And, and you're eloquent in your speech. And you know far more than the common person 
of the day. And people are always telling you how much they like your sermons and how great you, you speak. Unlike me. And uh, that was a joke. Sorry. I didn't get any laughs. I never do. But, um, you know, people are like, well, oh, oh, Apollos, what? You just speak so nice. You speak so well. And these common people, Aquila and Priscilla, who are just tent makers, show up. Husband and wife. And the wife is doing most of the talking. And they ask you over to their house for dinner. And they tactfully tell you that they know something that you don't know. Right? It's like, well, I have my master's degree in theology. There's no way that you know something I don't know. The reason I say this is because I believe it would have been easy for Apollos to reject them. And let them know in no uncertain terms how smart he is and how he studied and how he's just a genius. And that how he has multiple degrees and whatever it might be. And not receive what they say. But instead it shows his humility. And to, to receive what they say. It also shows that he is under construction. That he is learning. And then when we notice. That when Apollos arrives in Corinth. That he greatly helped those. Who through grace had believed. No one believes. Apart from the grace of God. No one does the work of the Lord effectively. Apart from God's grace. God does not save us because of something good in us. God doesn't look at us and say, oh, well, that, that right there is a good person. God doesn't use us because we have things all together. God doesn't use us because we're fully sanctified and fully qualified. God saves us because of His grace and God uses us because of His grace in spite of who we are, in spite of all of our shortcomings, in spite of all of our failures, He uses us because you and I are a work in progress because we're all under construction. We're all God's workers. He uses us because we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, according to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. God uses you and I, if He so chooses to do so, to display His power. Church, you and I are not saved to sit, soak, and sour. But we are saved to be used up and poured out. For the Lord. Used up and poured out for Him. And so this morning, I want to ask you three questions. I want to give you three applications to this message this morning. Question number one is this Is my focus on proclaiming the gospel? Is my focus on proclaiming the gospel? I'm not asking for excuses. 
I'm so tired of hearing people give excuses for not proclaiming the gospel and tired of people saying things like, well, that's not my gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to fulfill the great commission. And you should ask yourself this morning, is my deliberate focus on proclaiming the gospel? Do I have a burden for the condition of lost people? Is my heart broken for the people in Washington, Illinois that don't know Jesus? Is my heart broken for my co-workers and my family members and people in the United States of America and people in foreign nations that have never heard the name of Jesus? Does my heart break for lost people? Is my focus completely and totally on proclaiming the gospel? If not, then begin to pray, God, give me a burden for lost people, both here and in other countries. If you say, well, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say to, to someone that, that doesn't know Jesus. Then my response is, schedule an appointment. Come and talk with me. Call my cell phone. My number's printed on the bulletin. Send me a text message. Go on Facebook. Pastor, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Read some books on, on how you can share the gospel. I got a couple right here. You know, we have this book, Life on Mission. Joining the Everyday Mission of God. Pastor, can I borrow that book? Yeah, here, I'll just give it to you even. If you, if you want it, come, you can come get it after church. I'll give it to you. Here's another one. I had this book in uh, college. The Master Plan of Evangelism. This book's been around for like ever. Say, hey, can I have that book? I'll give it to you. I'll just order more. We have these little book booklets. Wife. On Mission, Three Circles, Life Conversation Guide that walks somebody through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This same thing has an application. You can put it on your cell phone and walk somebody through using your cell phone. How, how to share the gospel. Pick one of these up. We have those to give out. Watch videos. We, we have subscription to what's called Right Now Media. And you say, well, well, what's that? If you're, if you're not on there, say, hey, can I get on there? I'll send you an email. You can get signed up. There's, there's all kinds of series in there on evangelism. There's, there's a great one called Threads by David Platt. There's a great little series by John Piper called Look at the Book Outreach um, series by him. There's another little bit by Al Mohler called Christian morality and evangelism. We have all kinds of things that you can use to share the gospel. I'm just saying that resources are abundant. You have no excuse to say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't know how to share the gospel. Our focus must be on proclaiming the gospel without apologism, without, without saying, oh, well, I don't know how to do it. Then figure out how to do it because that's your calling as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be sharing the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Secondly, is my focus on strengthening the church? Church, I think I've made it clear, and I've made it clear many, many times. Strengthening the church is not just the job of the pastor. 
If you have grown at all in your faith, then the Lord expects you to help other people grow in their faith. So what if you're not a Paul? Neither am I. So what if you're not an Apollos? Neither am I. Maybe you're an Aquila or a Priscilla. Imagine if they, if they thought, well, you know what? I'm, I'm no Paul and I'm no Apollos. I'm not, at, I'm not at these guys' level. So I'm not going to go talk to Apollos, that's for sure. I'm not on his level. He is much smarter than I am, so there's no way I'm going to go address him. Listen, church, if you're here and you are a believer, you are on God's team. And sitting on the bench is not an option. There are no bench warmers on God's team. You know, I used to say in high school, I played a little football. I used to say I played end, guard, and tackle. I sat on the end of the bench, guarded the water bottles, and tackled anybody that came near them. <laughs> and I always felt that that was better than playing left out. But... Um, that, that might take a little bit to sink in for some of you. You're trying to figure out left out. What's position that? Um, anyway, I'm telling you, church, that if you're saved, get in the game. Get in the game. Stop making excuses. You're not, you're not there to be a bench warmer. Get in the game. Do something. Strengthen the church. Look for ways that you can strengthen First Baptist Church. Not just coming. Warm up a pew. Boy, it sure is cold out. Better get that pew warm. Get in the game. Last question. I want you to ask yourself, last point of application. Am I under construction? Now you would say, of course I'm under construction. Didn't you just say that? Duh. No one is perfect. However, that's not what I mean. What I want to know is this. Are you being intentional, deliberate, and doing things that will help you grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, do you read books to help you grow and walk in greater holiness? Do you dig into God's word to know him better and to understand things more accurately? Do you study and meditate on God's word? Do you memorize scripture to better grasp the truths that you find in the scripture? No one grows as a Christian by accident. It just, you don't just grow by accident. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, one day I'm going to wake up and be spiritually mature and I'm going to know all this stuff. It doesn't work that way. You have to focus on it. And church, I, I know I need your patience as a pastor. I need your help as a pastor. I need you to, to, to help me as a pastor. What I don't need is gossip and storytelling and half-truths. There may be areas and things that, that I do that you don't like and that you don't necessarily agree with. And that's okay. Know that God's not finished with me either. He's not finished with either one of us. If our focus, though, is, is very deliberately on making the gospel known, and if our focus is on encouraging one another and building one another up and growing in the Lord, then some of these things that, that, are, that we make into a big deal really aren't a big deal. We just make them that. So this morning, perhaps you would say, Pastor, I need some prayer. I'm out of focus. I'm not, I'm not focused on 
I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm not, I'm not focused on, on strengthening the church. And I'm definitely not doing anything to grow in my faith. Maybe you need some prayer. And you, and you can pray right there in your pew. You can do that. And you can come forward and pray. I'll be standing down front. You can come forward and say, hey, I, I want some prayer. I'll be glad to pray with you. Not because I'm like Mr. Holy and I got like a connection to God that you don't have. I just like to pray with people if that's what they want. You can pray when you go home today. It doesn't matter. I ask you this morning, is your focus on proclaiming the gospel? Is your focus on strengthening the church? Are you truly under construction the point that you're trying to grow in Christ? If not, would you call out to the Lord this morning? Or maybe this morning, the first time you kind of something clicked and you, you understood that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and, and you don't really know what that means. And you want to place your faith in Jesus or, or you want to know more about that. I'd be glad to talk with you. I'll be standing down front. Or if you want to talk later, just hang around. If you want a, a book, just come say, hey, Pastor, can I have that or read that? Be glad to help you any way I can. But would we, as First Baptist Church, get our focus right? Would we proclaim the gospel and would we strengthen the church and would we all just be under construction and understand that and help one another grow so that God would do great things among us? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's my prayer for us this morning. Will you bow with me for a time of prayer? Father, I thank you.